All right, thank you. Uh, so Pastor Steve and I were able to meet uh, Pastor Tehu Lee at a conference in, in New Jersey, of all places, New Jersey. Um, and he is the pastor at Spirit and Truth Fellowship Church in Philadelphia, graduated from Seoul National University. If you're familiar with uh, that university, it's a very prestigious university and, and um, takes a, it takes a lot to get into there. Uh, and so I can imagine how thrilled his parents were when he, from there, decided to go to Westminster Seminary in Philadelphia. And from there, um, I think he had a plan to come back to Korea and establish a church there and really minister uh, to people uh, maybe of that sort of status and, and, and life. But he got connected to uh, the inner city ministry in Philadelphia. And the work that he's doing there now is, is amazing. And that's why when Pastor Steve and I heard uh, he was here, we thought it would be awesome if we could have him share at our church and really um, encourage us through his ministry and through his life. It's, it's incarnational. It's like Christ. He's living amongst the people who need him the most, and, and he's trying to take the gospel of Christ there. And so without further ado, let's give a warm welcome to Pastor Tehu Lee. It's morning. Good to be here. So uh, I was born and raised in South Korea, and as he just mentioned, at the, at the age of 29, I came to Philadelphia to attend Westminster Theological Seminary as a fob. If you don't know the meaning, turn to your Asian friend next to you and ask him or her. Uh, yeah, and then I was hoping to go back to Korea and plant a church for a bunch of my non-Christian friends, and God had a different plan. So, uh, 2003, I had a very clear sense of God calling me to the inner city neighborhood of Philadelphia, and I moved there, and since 2003 up till today, I'm living as a neighbor, in the inner city neighborhood. So let me show you uh, my neighborhood. Okay, can somebody actually turn the light off here so that you could have a better view? Okay, so <clears throat> you could probably make uh, out that uh, this guy looks like me. Uh, it's me. Um, so this was taken a few years back uh, on my block. Uh, this gentleman is my ne was next, my next door neighbor. So you can kind of... Uh, feel the vibe, okay? 2004, the Philadelphia Police Department decided to have a citywide raid on drug dealers. And on that day, they made 137 arrests. Not a small number, but out of 137, they decided to put a picture taken in front of my house. <laughs> to be more precise, in front of the room, where I was renting uh, on a local newspaper. God has a great sense of humor. By looking at this picture, you can figure out a lot about my neighborhood. So my neighborhood is called North Philly, a predominantly African-American neighborhood, 94% African-American. About 44% of the neighbors live under 100% poverty level. More than 40% of the properties are abandoned, empty, and deteriorating. As you could see from this picture, uh, this is called Diamond Street, but as this picture shows, the entire block is mostly boarded up. And Diamond Street is one of these arterial streets. 
So this is not a side street, but even on a major street, you see this kind of uh, abandonment. Uh, this is beautiful brownstone house that could fetch million dollar if it's in intact shape, but as you can see, the roof is gone, and a few years back, city had to demolish it because it could be a liability issue. So my neighbor is technically second poorest neighbor in Philadelphia, and on top of that, it's one of the worst neighborhood for violent crimes. From 2004-2007, Philadelphia was ranked number one among the cities in the United States for murder rate. And in 2007 alone, we had 406 murder in the city, which has barely 1.5 million population. And around that time, the newspaper kindly generated a map of my neighborhood. And by now, you can figure out what these black dots stand for, right? These are murders. Uh, people call it a hit map. And this was just during the span of a few months. And the earlier house that you saw I was renting is around here. And I moved 2009 two blocks away from where I used to live. And where I currently reside is this neighborhood. It's a lot closer to this dot. I don't think it's going to run. But anyway, uh, 2014... Last Monday of October, uh, there was a shooting on my block. So this is uh, actually ABC local news covering that incident, which somehow we couldn't run the video clip here. Anyway, uh, a young man whose name was Chris Green was shot and killed in a very brutal way. Uh, I knew this guy because he was living on my block and uh, it was drug-related, and two suspects came in, took out two guns, and fired simultaneously 36 bullets, mostly on his face, literally execution style. And of course, he was killed right there. But the tragedy didn't end there. In the same living room, a small living room, uh, his cousin, who was third grader, was watching TV with his cousin. Imagine, in the middle of night, two strangers kicked in your door, came in, took out two guns, and started to fire at your cousin next to you. Can you imagine the sound of two guns blasting bullets? And all the gruesome detail, I don't want to even talk about. He had to be there. And the story doesn't end there. His grandmother lived next block to me, and when she heard the news, she fainted, passed out, was admitted to hospital, and within a week, she passed away. I'm almost certain that none of you in this room ever experienced anything like that, or probably you do not know anyone, unless you work in inner city neighborhood, who've been through this. But a lot of my neighbors, uh, this is something they experience in their immediate family or an extended family. Even last December, two days after Christmas, a young man next block to me was shot and killed at the age of 29. And I knew her mom, I knew his mom and his younger sister because she attended to my summer camp. 
This is the life of inner city at its worst. <clears throat> and God called me to move into this neighborhood in 2003 to be a good neighbor. And as I was learning through books, history, and meeting people, walking around the neighborhood, I was overwhelmed. You know, I'm just a petite-sized Asian guy. They don't even recognize me as Korean-American. I'm either Asian or Oriental, whatever. I don't have much money back then and now. I don't have any political clout. What can I do? So I, I was kind of a praying and kind of a, you know, almost complaining to God, God, you brought me here, but there's not much I could do. You know, what can I do? What can I offer to these people? And God brought me to this text of Mark. And he challenged me by these words from Jesus, saying, you give them something to eat. Tehu, you give them something to eat. So, let me explain a little bit about this passage. Uh, Jesus sent his disciples out to short-term mission trip, for the lack of the word. They came back with excitement, and they reported back to Jesus. Jesus, we cast out demons in your name. We healed people. And they, when they were excited, Jesus saw that they were exhausted, and he told them, uh, let's go on the other side of the lake. And as they were embarking on a boat, People around the neighborhood saw Jesus and his disciples. They ran ahead of them, and they waited for Jesus to come. And when Jesus saw them, even though he and his disciples were exhausted, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without shepherd. They were under occupation by Roman Empire. So, Jesus started to have a one-day revival. And as Jesus began to teach about the kingdom of God, people were mesmerized with his message. Hours passed, people didn't really bother, and back then they didn't have wristwatch or smartphone. They didn't have no way of checking the passing of time. But disciples saw that sun was going down on the west side of the sky. So they came to Jesus, teacher, it is getting late. And these people didn't eat anything all day long. So if you send them empty stomach, they'll probably be famished on the way. So why don't you send them to nearby villages and make them buy something to eat and replenish and go home. Excellent staff. I want these kind of people on my team, right? They assess the situation correctly, and they even came up with a very reasonable solution. And if you are a leader, your job is to say, wow, excellent job, boys, let's do it. But what did Jesus say? You give them something to eat. As if he was clueless about what they were suggesting. So disciples said, are you telling us that we should buy 200 denarii's worth of bread 
a very kind and you know, polite way of answering, but in the parentheses, there are a lot of stars and you know, marks and frustration. Jesus, to feed these people, we need at least 200 denarii's worth of bread. At the time, one denarius was a wage of labor for a day. So 200 days of wage, a lot of money. And they were only hypothetically speaking. And they were, their second kind of a frustration in the parenthesis was, and we don't have that kind of money. You know that, teacher. So just do as we suggested, please, was their request. But knowing all of these, Jesus kept on going. How many loaves do you have? Go and see. So, without any other option, they went around. In Gospel of John, we are told that a boy had five loaves of bread and two fish, and he gave it to Andrew. Bible doesn't tell us what kind of loaves you are talking about, whether Italian loaf or French peasant bread. I want to think it's a kind of a pita bread. Bear with me. So five pita bread and two small fish. I think it's kind of equivalent to your brown bag lunch sandwich. Two slices of white bread, <clears throat> mayo, mustard, slice of cheese, lunch meat, lettuce, tomato, raw onion, if you like it. That's it. Just for one person's lunch. And the Bible tells us that there were about 5,000 5, men. And it's clear about the gender pronoun. We're talking about not 5,000 people. We're talking about 5,000 male beings. So including women and children, it was at least 20,000 big crowd. Imagine Andrew walking through that 20,000 big crowd with that little food. Looking at the crowd, looking at the small food you have. Probably thinking, what can this do? I have no idea was probably what was going through his mind. But it brought to Jesus, and seeing that food, that little meager food, Jesus told his disciples, why don't you go and let the crowd sit in groups of 50s and 100s? So they did. Everybody was seated, not knowing what to expect, but expecting something. And Jesus took that little food and looked toward heaven and gave thanks to God and began to distribute to his disciples. And if I may use a little of imagination, I think this is what happened. Jesus took the Peter bread, broke in half, gave half to Peter and Andrew. What happened? The half Peter bread, as it was traveling from the hands of Jesus to the disciples, it became a full bread. He took fish, broke in two, gave it to John and James, and the same thing happened. As the transaction was made, the half fish became a full fish. Up to this moment, disciples were full of frustration and maybe anger and confusion. But as they were witnessing miracle happening in front of their eyes, now they are filled with joy, excitement, 
and a sense of renewed mission. They went to the crowd, began to give away what little food they had, and the same miracle kept on happening. So what does the passage tell us? They ate to their fill, and they collected leftover food, and they gathered 12 baskets full of food. Who cares about leftover? Nobody. If your guest had enough, that's all there is to know. But for whatever reason, the Bible tells us this interesting detail. To give you more idea on perspective, let me remind you that feeding of this multitude is the only miracle story that's recorded in all four Gospels. If you know the difference between Synoptic Gospel and Gospel of John, you understand how significant this is. All four Gospels give a little of different details, like a boy giving his food to Andrew is recorded only in Gospel of John. But in all four Gospels, we hear that the leftover food was 12 baskets. So the Holy Spirit is telling us, pay attention. Those of you who are living in Orange County mostly, living in 2019, can really understand the importance of this interesting enigmatic detail. Because if you have problem with food, it's not because we don't have food to eat. Am I right? If you have a problem with food, it's there's too much food. Some of you made a New Year's resolution because by the statistics, one of the top New Year's resolution of everybody is, I'm going to exercise, I'm going to lose weight. Not to mention somebody by name, right? So we all want to lose 5 to 10, 20 pounds. But it's hard. There's too much to eat. If you skipped your dinner, there's snack tucked away someplace under your desk, in your kid's room. But this problem of having too much food is most recent phenomenon. Up till Second World War, Europe and United States, in certain part of that region, people had to suffer famine. You know, Irish potato problem, Italians mass immigrating to the States. One of the reasons was the famine. And we're talking about first century Palestine, which was under occupation by Roman Empire. And this is Galilee area where there were poor peasant and fishermen. They never had enough food. If they ate, it was survival mode. And to this poor crowd, hungry crowd, not just for lack of food, but because their country was taken away, because God doesn't seem to be answering their prayer for hundreds of years, Jesus made a feast for these people in the middle of wilderness with that little food, which seems to be nothing in our own eyes, but Jesus used this little food as catalyst for miracle and he provided and invited them to this eschatological wedding banquet where everybody could eat 
and experience God's abundance. And this was the passage that, that God put in my heart. And the strong reminder was, Tehu, you give them something to eat. So what can I do as a small, petite-sized Asian man? Before we go on, uh, let me show you the apartment that I moved in uh, 2009 and where I lived until 2016, or 17 actually. So when I first moved into this apartment, my apartment was second floor, the first floor was like this, a work in progress. I hope none of you ever had to live in this kind of place even for a week, but this was my home for the past uh, seven or eight years. Anyway, what can I do? What can I give? Well, at least I have a healthy, able body. So what I decided was to clean my block. One of the characteristics of inner city is that it's pretty, uh, there's trash everywhere. It's not because my neighbors are lazy. It has a lot to do with the property ownership. If you're renting an apartment like that, I just showed you, would you be encouraged to clean the outside when the absent landlord doesn't care your living space? And also, a lot of my neighbors work two, three full-time jobs, so they don't have energy or motivation to clean. So I started to clean my neighborhood once, not just once, three, four times a day. And as time went on, my neighbors began to notice that it became clean. And once my street became clean, I put some plants out to beautify. And my neighbors loved it, and they wanted to have one or two, so I got more plants for my neighbors. So as you see, my block became one of the cleanest and prettiest block in my neighborhood, quoting my neighbors. These are not my words. As my relationship grew, I was able to run a summer camp for the children in my neighborhood. And for your information, but I purchased this abandoned home 2017, and uh, I'm currently living here. So since 2006 up till this, uh, this past year, I've run summer camp in front of my house, literally, blocking the street the month of July, and it has been an amazing journey. So as you see, every summer, uh, we have a month-long summer camp on my block. Uh, it started with a really simple goal. Uh, during summer, unlike most of your experience as student and your children's experience, 
my kids in my neighborhood don't have anything to do, anywhere to go. In some cases, uh, some children whose only source of meal is school lunch, they would go hungry. So I started summer camp 2006 to benefit the kids in my neighborhood, and of course to bring the gospel to these children. What started at a kind of a simple gesture of love and kindness became a community event. Now my neighbors and kids expect this camp, wait for this camp entire year. Whenever I walk down the street, I'm stopped by kids or neighbors asking, Pastor, is there going to be summer camp? Yep. Is it going to be month long? Yes. Is it going to be on Uber Street, which is my block? Yes. What, a, what an honor and privilege. So since 2006, we served about 1,500 plus kids. And some children went off to college. And in some cases, like last summer, we had some high school students who joined us to serve as a staff members. Two minutes. No, I need more than two minutes, Pastor Sam. Let them wait. <clears throat> uh, so one summer, the first year actually, uh, when he started summer camp, uh, by second week, a leader of the drug dealers uh, around the corner came to me and said hi. So I had to like, hi, because he was a Shaquille O'Neal, about 75%. I was a little bit intimidated because I didn't know this guy. And uh, he's like, thank you. Oh, for what? And he pointed out two little children in my camp. They said they were his sister's children. They loved the camp, so he was grateful. And he said, Pastor, if you need anything, let me know. And I'm like, I'm good. We're cool. And he said one more time, sincerely, Pastor, I mean it. If you need anything, let me know. So I said a Lord's Prayer. Uh, lead me not into temptation, and said, I'm good. Uh, following week, uh, we were hit by a heat wave. It was 90s all week, very hot. And one day he brought these two big plastic bags and put it in front of me. And I asked, what are these? And he said, he bought some popsicles because they're so hot. So this is for staff, you know, children, volunteers. And I knew where he got the money. It's drug money, right? So I had a little uh, moral conundrum. Can I take this as a pastor for VBS? Ah, 30 seconds. Thank you. I took it and gave it. So I don't know how many uh, summer camps out there who got snacks from drug dealers, but mine is one. Um, that year, end of that year, he uh, was not around. I asked, and they told me he you know, was locked up in prison, which is... Just a normal thing for drug dealers. Uh, and then the next summer, another guy from the group became the leader of the drug dealers. And his name was Paul, and I knew him before. So a week before camp started, Paul came and said, Pastor, I heard camp starts next week. Yep. He's like, ah, oh, Pastor Lee, don't worry about a thing. What? I told everybody. About what? So he told his boys that since camp starts next week, that they shouldn't be interfering any of that. They shouldn't be around. If anyone from outside were to come around to cause any problem, they should be 
guarding them. I was so touched. Thank you so much. Uh, you may understand that in my neighborhood, his word carries a lot more weight than a word from police chief. So I thanked him. And he was like, uh, I have a favor to ask of you. What? He had a son whose name was Paul Jr., third grader. He asked if he could register his son to my camp. I'm like, yeah, of course. So his son was registered. And for the four entire week, every morning, 10 a.m., Paul's girlfriend would drive white Mercedes, drop off Paul Jr. with polo shirt. He will get off the car and did he have any problem that particular summer? No problem at all. Of course, it was God who extended his protection over our summer camp, but God can use someone like a drug dealer to bring protection. Over the past 10 plus years, so many things happened. God stopped the rain for our swimming pool outing. And God literally blocked a motorcycle trying to run through the street by bringing another person at a precise hour to block that motorcycle. And the list goes on and on. But I think the most amazing miracle is that lives have been changed. Kids who did not have any idea about their future are beginning to dream about their future. Many of these children are beginning to think about going to college and beyond. And as their children are changing, parents are being transformed. And they are beginning to see their children as game changer for the future. As you see in this picture, they look amazing, you know, full of energy. What blows me away is that most of these children has a family that has so many issues. For me, it's a miracle that they could laugh like this instead of being crushed by the weight of their harsh life as inner city dwellers. A few years back, I bought this abandoned building and two agents lot so that I could renovate and extend so that this could be a church and a community center. If one month of summer made such a difference, imagine what we could do, what God could do if I could take care of these children all year long through after school program and beyond. It's so humbling that God can use someone like me as a blessing. Looks like I need to go. So in conclusion, I want you to warn you against the lies that we've heard so many times. The lie of the world and the Satan, which is, you don't have that much to offer. You don't have that much power or political clout to change things. I know your heart is aching for poverty issues, racism, North Korea, border issue, the refuge in Mediterranean and Middle East, uh, climate change, the wildfire in North California. Whatever that is, you know, we have something that our heart is aching. 
And the world is telling us, but there's nothing you could do. You're one single person. You don't have that much money. You're not Bill Gates. There's nothing you could do, is what the world tells us. Which is true according to the norms and game rules of this world. But you are here this morning on beautiful sunny Sunday morning, not in golf course or not on the shore, but in the church building because you and I believe that our primary citizenship is not on this earth, but in the kingdom of God. That means we live in a parallel world. Our reality is not this concrete and brick. Our reality is the kingdom of God. And the reality that you and I live are this miracle story. A boy offered what little thing he had, which is nothing to the eyes of the world. It's just only for one person. What this little food can do for 20,000 big crowd is the world's analysis of the little thing. But in the kingdom of God, it became a catalyst for an amazing miracle. It made a feast possible. All of us have something to offer. May seem little, doesn't matter. Because the heavy lifting is not for us to do. It's what Jesus is supposed to do. You have a lot to offer. Don't let the world fool you. Listen to the word of Jesus. You give them something to eat. And you as an individual and as a worshiping community, as a big family, you have a lot to offer. And let this ear be ear of miracle because you're going to be a catalyst for God's miracle in this fallen world. May God bless you.